Welcome back to the We Don't Know Sports Podcast. This is Chad the Mark, and we are bringing to you a special guest interview. We had the one, the only, LaVon Kirkland from Pittsburgh Steelers fame, Clemson Ring of Honor fame, just an overall monster of the gridiron. So we're so happy to have him on the show. Me and Biggie sat down and had a conversation with him for about an hour. And whether you're a Steelers fan or Clemson fan or whatever you may be, if you're just a football fan, hopefully you will enjoy this interview as we got to talk to him. And he took us through the ups and downs and, and how he got to be where he is in life today. And honestly, he was a great conversation. We hope you enjoy it. This is the We Don't Know Sports Podcast Weekend Special with LeVon Kirkland. Ladies and gentlemen, joining us now is a man, a myth, and a legend. Whether you're a Clemson fan or if you've been following the Pittsburgh Steelers, this is a second-round draft pick. A two-time pro bowler, only two times, which is amazing to me. He is on the all-decade team uh, of uh, the 1990s NFL. Ladies and gentlemen, LeVon Kirkland joins us today. LeVon, how you doing, brother? I'm doing well. Thank you very much for inviting me on your show. appreciate it. Man, I, we're glad to have you. And, and I just got to get something out of the way right off the bat. Is uh, Okay. Man, I, I could not stand you as a player, and I just want you to know why. Really? I was a Bengals okay. fan. I'm a Bengals fan. Uh, you're a Bengals fan. I get it. Did did they ever did they ever beat you while you were in Pittsburgh? I don't think they did. Yeah, yeah, they did actually a couple of times. I, th- I think twice. Yeah, uh, twice out of probably at least ten. So I guess that's twice a- out of like eighteen or so. <laughs> Man. Yeah, we you know because we played them twice a year, so they they did beat us though. They did beat us. Okay, so see, my memory is so jarred that I, I all I remember is seeing. Big 99 running around. I mean, I didn't Thank know you me. personally, but you killed my Bengals every time. You were like a monster out there, and you were wreaking havoc. And I felt like every time we played you guys, I always saw you laying on top of somebody that had the football, and it just – it was depressing. You, you may, The 90s Bengals were not a fun time, and, and watching the steel nah. curtain defense, it didn't help. You were right. Too that good. was a tough time for you guys. Uh, it was. I don't want to relive it anymore, yeah. but yeah, here I am talking to the guy that's responsible for some of that. <laughs> I'm just a part of the team. That's all. Hey, it's nothing but love, man. I, I, I actually really appreciate you. You're you're an awesome, awesome football player. It just so happened that you had to be on the other side, and it was just, it was just hard to watch. To to kind of get people some perspective. Um, you know, who, who may be, especially our younger listeners who may not have got a chance to watch you play. Um, wh- how big were you when you were playing? Like size, weight, how fast were you? I was around 6'2". I probably played my best. You know, I'm counting my Pro Bowl days. I was at 280. So, and you're a linebacker, correct? So what would you correct. play in? I was t- an inside linebacker. Yeah, in today's Is NFL, they- in today's NFL, like there's no linebackers even close to that size, right? No, there was really no no linebackers close to that size when I was playing or before then or at basically at any time. I was kind of the outlier in a lot of ways. Yeah, most of the guys at that size were coming off the end of the line even back then. Right. Yeah, no no yeah, rush ahead they, they, they were on three they were in a three point stance or yep. you know, they might have been playing an offensive line or something of that nature, but uh, it was just a different guy at that time. But I, I always tell people this is probably uh, what happened with me is uh, in high school, I played for a small high school. And uh, when you play for a small high school, you basically have to do more than just one sport. You're playing football, you're running track, you're playing basketball. 
So I was one of those multi-athletes that played everything. And I really believe that it helped me as I progress on to uh, collegiate ball and also to the NFL. I think being that good of an athlete in high school helped me when I actually went into the NFL. And I was able to hold my weight, as most people call it. I was a proportional athlete. I wasn't just, you know, I was a big guy, but it wasn't, you know, sloppy big. But it was definitely bigger than most people. It was definitely bigger than most of the measurements you want for a inside linebacker. So, like I said before, I was an outlier. I'm sure another outlier is going to come again. <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> I'm probably the only one thus far. Well, yeah, it's funny you bring up about playing all sports. We've had a lot of different guys come on the show before. And, you know, nowadays, you know, everybody's into like, especially when you talk about like basketball and baseball, you have like travel ball, AAU, stuff like that. And you don't really have like the all sport athletes as much anymore. People kind of get pigeonholed into the one sport they kind of go after. And I think they lose kind of what you're talking about, that athleticism, that uh, all those extra muscle memories you pick up over time and things like that. Like you, you definitely were gifted by that. I think it gives you different movements than just really just doing one sport. And, I I mean, I get how, you know, I think I I always call it the curse of Tiger Woods, you know. Uh, Tiger (laughs) Woods kind of did that one sport, or at least it was highlighted that he did the one sport and the one only sport. Uh, Serena Williams, you kind of think of those. And I think every parent in in America kind of thought like, hey, that has become the birth of the workout warriors and specializing in not only just one sport, but really one position. Nowadays, some kids are really specializing in just that one position. Right. And for me, I, I changed a lot of positions when I, I changed every every level I went to. I, I changed positions. And I just think that when you have that kind of range, it helps you to become even more versatile as the the specialty sport that you're in. So I I really, I thought it was a blessing I was able to play different other sports because I think it does teach you, like you said, different movements, different muscle memory, and, you know, just makes you a better, well-rounded athlete. And it's a great way to stay in shape too without just lifting weights or doing, you know, calisthenics or anything like that. So I, I, I liked it because it got me out of doing some chores and going to church all the time. <laughs> right. But I mean, I, I think it's a great way to really help you help the athlete always stay in peak performance. When you were in high school, so you, you got recruited a little bit. I know where you ended up and I see a picture over your left shoulder here on the wall. So I definitely want to ask you right. about that, but so how did you end up in Clemson? You're a South Carolina native, correct? Yeah, I'm a South Carolina native, and, well, how I got recruited is a little different than it was back in the day. You know, we didn't really have a lot of internet at all, and being from a smaller town, you didn't really get a lot of publicity, but what happened with me is we played a team that uh, two of the guys were getting really recruited heavily by South Carolina, and I just remember my coach my head coach coming up to me and say, hey, there's some recruiters out there. It's, it's my junior year. I haven't got one single letter whatsoever. And I was like, oh, okay. And I went out there and I had a tremendous game. I mean, I had a great game. And the next week I got a letter from the University of South Carolina 
Then the following week, I got a letter from Clemson. But what what happened was I think Clemson developed a better relationship with me than South Carolina did. Um, I even went to the South Carolina football camp, had a real good camp, got to, got to have a one-on-one with Joe, Joe, I mean Joe Morrison, who was the head coach at the time. But Clemson really, they followed me pretty heavily my senior year. The guy who was recruiting me, he really – believed that I had an opportunity to be a good player. And when he came and but and Clemson was the first team that offered me a scholarship. And he didn't give me any BS. He was basically saying, hey, I think you're a very good athlete. I'm gonna push for you to get a scholarship uh because I think you can get it done. But you know, there's no handouts, you know, and I was just like, bet, I just want an opportunity to play. And Clemson at the time in the 80s was, was a pretty good program. You know, you're talking about Danny Ford winning the championship oh, in the yeah. early 80s. The teams beating some big-time teams like Penn State, Oklahoma. <clears throat> so they were, you know, uh, Clemson program back then was highly thought of. So for a guy like myself to get the opportunity to play for Clemson University was big. But really, that's how I went. I only really got recruited by really two teams. And it was South Carolina and Clemson, but Clemson did a better job of establishing a relationship with me and understood that I needed development. And it worked out wonderfully for me. It did. When you got to Clemson, like you just said, hey, this isn't a handout. You have to earn it. You were a consensus All-American at Clemson, were you not? Yeah. You know, um, I was the guy that wasn't really highly recruited. But the one thing I liked about Danny Ford was he gave you the opportunity, didn't matter how high you were recruited or regarded, he just wanted guys who can win and guys who can perform on the field. And after I got registered, it was kind of funny. One of the GAs came up to me and he was like, you know, if you keep playing, you keep working the way you work, you're going to be one of the best linebackers ever played here. And I thought, like, wow, yeah, okay, I want to be that guy. <laughs> I thought there were some good linebackers that came through, but I honestly wanted to be that guy. I wanted to be the very best that played there. And I really took his word to heart, and I, I kept it. And then the next year, I end up splitting time with a guy named John Johnson who actually got drafted the year before um, The year before I did. We came in at the same time. I got reassured that he didn't. And I, I end up being the starter the last three games. And I had a really good freshman campaign, uh, did well special team-wise, made some big plays. And the next year, you know, I was kind of messing up a little bit that first year I was playing, but I was making plays. And uh, Gene Chiswick, who was the Auburn coach when they won the national championship, yeah. was a GA there. And I went to Gene Chiswick, and I said, Gene, man, I want to be a great player. And I don't want to keep messing up plays. Can you help me understand the defense a little more? Because I went with the high school I went to, we basically ran a 4-4-3. It was really simple. It wasn't a lot of cover two, cover three, anything like that. We basically did zone and we did man. Play, <laughs> playing against and a so, lot of running teams probably, right? And you, you're, run, you're playing against a lot of running teams, you know. We came off the edge a couple of times. But I really wanted to understand the game, and it was never really a set time with me and Gene Chiswick, but I would we would meet up periodically, and you know we'd just meet up and we'd just talk, and he'd just kind of teach me stuff. And um, that next year, 
I really blossomed as a player, got bigger, got stronger. I didn't make many mental errors at all. And that's when I kind of knew. I was like, okay, I got a little something here. So it was really just, I was one of those guys that you just developed. I might have been a two-star ranked guy in high school, but that goes to show you, man, if you get a guy and you can develop him and you can help him get better, the sky is the limit. So that's basically what happened with me in college. Man, I love it. You just go out and earn it. So so what's your favorite moment uh, while you were at Clemson? Like, what's the one thing that stands out, whether personal moment or biggest game? Tell me tell me something that you, you definitely hold fondly. Uh, well, you know, I always say that the hill was probably one of the best things about Clemson University, where we drive from the west side all the way to the east side of the stadium, and we run down that hill because it gave you a perspective of the fans that you just didn't see often. And I don't think a lot of players see it. We see everybody at that time when you're on top of that hill. And when you're running down, man, your adrenaline is just flowing. And so it was an interest that just never got old to me. But I would have to say games like when I when we played Duke one year and they had Dale Wig and we were – they were ranked and they had Steve Spurrier and I was a, I was a redshirt freshman and I made two tremendous big plays that help us win the game. And then there are also games like when we beat Georgia Tech the year after they won the national championship, we beat them by them missing a field goal. Um, playing South Carolina there was always special because that's cross, that's cross state rival. So there was a lot of games. There were a lot of games there, but those games really stand out to me. So it's the real Death Valley, right? It's not LSU. <laughs> well, maybe LSU can claim it this year, but we consistently have been the real Death Valley. <laughs> all right, that's all I wanted to hear. Uh, so yeah. now, now that you know you you're far removed from your time at Clemson, are you still hanging out with the program at all? Does Dabo bring you back in? Do you ever talk to the players? Uh, do you have any relationship you with know, them now? Man, there have been so many superstars that have been in Clemson that. You know, most of those guys wouldn't know who I am. I do, you know, th- I'm always invited to come, come to the, um, come to the program, come to the stadium. I don't really, I, I haven't really talked. Dabo loves, the, Dabo does more talking, so he loves to talk. So I, I, I'm probably not in his speaker's bureau, but <laughs> yeah, I can come around. I, the, the cool thing is though, I did get into the ring of honor and my name is on the stadium. So that's a positive and that says a lot, but yeah, you know, I still follow the program and want those guys to win. And I actually do a podcast and we talk about Clemson football with, uh, with belief uh, productions. And that's a good way for me to talk football because honestly, I'm sure my friends are tired of me talking football. (laughs) Well, Hey, drop the name of the podcast real quick. So everybody knows what it's called. Yeah. It's just uh, clips and football with Levon Kirkland and it's through belief L E and a B L E A V. Okay. And if you look there, you'll find a podcast and we, we talk about Clemson football. So, well, you're on the Clemson all centennial team, member of the Clemson university hall of fame. So, I think that uh, you can show up whenever you want to. He's being modest when he says they probably don't remember him or know who he yeah, is. Yeah, he's taking the high road for sure. Oh uh, well, you, you know how you know how young kids are, man. A lot of times they don't know the history, or uh, and they don't really want to understand the history. You know, there's so much in the present, and they're all about themselves. Which I think, as an athlete, 
you kind of have to be into yourself a little bit. I know people think that's being arrogant or being cocky, but as an athlete, when you're out there playing, you kind of have to be about taking care of yourself, your body, you know, managing your emotional state um, mentally into the game and into yourself. So I don't take it personally. I understand that. But a lot of times, you know, once they're introduced and they, if they look back on Google, they, they get it. And I, I got a piece about myself that you, you understand what you did as a, as a player and you, you know what you did. And a lot of times when you look back, you really realize how many, the flaws you had as a player. <laughs> you realize that you didn't always use great technique. So hey, just try to remember um, the good times. You just try to remember the great times. It's just like, okay, in my memory, I was all that, but. No, I, I mean, I was I was very fortunate and very blessed to have the career that I had at Clemson and even in the NFL. Well, so you, so you had the career at Clemson, and then it comes time for the NFL to start going through the draft process. And I know they they I guess they had the combine to a certain degree back then. Uh, you know, so what was that process like, and and what was that like going through all that before you actually got selected? Well, I, I'm a I'm gonna lay it out there for you. All your collegiate career, and I'm sure now in high school because the combine is seen on television, and I'm sure that everybody wants to go to the combine and they want to compete. That's, I think that's a lot of guys' dream besides getting drafted and being on stage with Roger Cadell. But I'm telling you, I was like that too when I was in college. You want to go to the combine because that meant that you're perhaps one of the best players that played in college football. But actually being at a combine sucks. I bet. It really sucks. <laughs> Just it poked did. and prodded. Yeah, and run around in your underwear and, and you're, we're going to judge you're, you. You're, you're, you're pulled on and then you're going shirtless for almost that, for a day almost, showing your body off. It's it's kind of just degrading a little bit. I think they need to change it up now. And I think that now that travel is I rather if I'm a if I'm a first rounder, let's put it this, this way. If I'm in the top ten in in the draft, I'm not going to the combines. No, and not a lot of people all. don't now. You're I, right. I, yeah, uh, and I'm going to control the environment and the climate that I'm into. I think when you go to the combines, it's a shock to you, and I don't care how many people tell you it. It's going to be like, dude, it's it's not that great. <laughs> you want to you want to play ball so much. And you dreamed about playing ball that you're just so willing to go and you're just so willing to do it. But when you look back on it, it's like, geez, it's kind of degrading. It's, you know, Levine, you know, Levine Kirkland, turn to the right. You know, you basically turn to the right, <laughs> turn to the left. They're checking you out. And it's like, it's really degrading. But it's a part of the process, I imagine. But if I had any advice for any player nowadays, I would tell them if you got invited to the combine consider not going to the combine <laughs> but you know it may be a little different but when i went as a coach with arizona it was basically the same right so it hasn't changed much at all but it's an opportunity for guys to get in and showcase what they can do um the measurables i think the combine is all about the measurables they just want to see you know what you are but you know do it in your film i mean if you play ball and you play it the right way you know, the combine is going to count for something, but it's not going to count for everything. So, yeah, I, I went to the combines. It wasn't that great to me. I, I did not like I, – I couldn't wait to lead the combines. Let's put it that <laughs> way. 
nowadays with the way things are covered, if you turn down an invite to the combine, you can do stuff at your pro day at your school where you're comfortable. You're not treated right. so much like a, a piece of meat. You, you know, you're around your teammates doing what you've been doing. It's a better comfort level. Right. It's a chance for you to be around your teammates who are seniors. It's a chance for you to have one more time on the field with them. So, and I've been to pro days, and I, I like that kind of atmosphere more so than I like being at the combine. The combine is a it's a meat market for real, <laughs> and I just wish it was better. I just wish it was a better way of doing it, but it's a meat market, and you're you're part of the product, and yeah, it's 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 different, definitely. Well, you did well enough at the combine plus your college career. I think you were the 38th pick, second round by the Steelers. I was the 38th pick, second round, as you just said. Uh, interesting story. Um, I was a big Dallas Cowboy fan growing up, and I just remember the two teams that were interested in me was a team that I loved, the Dallas Cowboys, and the team that I hate, the Pittsburgh Steelers. <laughs> but I felt I felt a certain way about the Pittsburgh Steelers when I talked to Bill Cowher. And I went up to Pittsburgh to visit. And really, those were the two teams that I went to visit. And I played outside linebacker for the most part when I was with the Clemson Tigers. So really going into the combine, going to the draft, I was kind of more of a tweener. I think most teams saw me as an inside linebacker or a middle backer, but I didn't really have a whole lot of experience playing that position. So um Anyways, when the third, when the second round came up with the Pittsburgh Steelers, I went into the bathroom and I was, I basically looked in the mirror and I was like, they're going to pick me. They're going to pick me. They're going to pick me. You talk about affirmation. And I went to the, I, I believed it so much. I went to the kitchen table at my sister's home and I just sat by the phone. The phone rings. This, this is crazy. The phone rings. I pick it up. And it's Tom Donahoe. And Tom Donahoe was like, hey, LeVon, are we really considering picking you for the sec- this next pick coming up? I'm like, wow, considering? Ugh. That didn't really sound that great to me. Then a guy named Charles Bailey that I saw the whole time during the offseason, the Senior Bowl, the All-Star Games, the combines, the workouts. I saw him a lot. And he just was really a big fan of mine. And he got on the phone, and our conversation went a little something like this. He was like, hey, Kirkland, uh, do y'all have cable TV in Lamar, South Carolina? I'm like, yeah, man, we got cable TV. He's like, do you have ESPN? I'm like, dude, yeah, we got – I didn't say dude. In my mind, I was like, yeah, dude, we got ESPN. He was like, I tell you what, look at the ticker, and you'll see your name. Congratulations. Welcome to the Black and Gold. It was the team I wanted to play for. It was amazing that I actually made that affirmation and it became the team I wanted to play for. And the coach, Bill Cowher, he was a young guy at the time. And I just thought he had an energy that I really liked. And it was great. It was it was um, a great opportunity to go to a great organization. And I can't believe that I went to, in the bathroom and said, they're going to pick me. They're going to pick me. They're going to pick me. And it worked. So, you know, it's just it was just thrilling. It really was. So did you ever think in a million years you'd be there for a decade? No, you know, you just never know. When, you, when I first got to the first – 
mini camp that we had, and we had an earlier mini camp because we were a new team, and that was the rule. You can have one more mini camp. And I remember going there, but the whole team had to be there. It wasn't just the rookies. The whole team had to be there because of the new coaching staff and, you know, you're trying to get more work. But anyway, when I first got there, I was like, holy smokes, <laughs> these guys can move, man. <laughs> they could. They could absolutely go. And you're wondering, man, do I really belong in this league? I, it's a little bit of a doubt. You know you do, but – you're looking at these experienced men that you're going against who have, you know, they got kids and mortgages, so they got a whole <laughs> lot to play for. And I was like, wow, the, the speed of the game has just picked up. You know, the guys were fast. I mean, all the offensive linemen were fast and good in college. It wasn't quite that way. You know, it was, you know, there was elite players. And, you know, everybody else was, you know, okay or good or, you know, not good. But when your whole offensive line and even the second string guys to you are just super fast. I mean, the linebackers, the DBs, the receivers, the running backs, quarterbacks, they were all so good. And you're like, whoa. But I knew that, okay, I, I got a lesson like, <laughs> you know, when my first year, because we rotated so much in college, you thought you were going to be playing. So, you know, I actually had a pretty good camp and was backing up um, backing up the linebackers. But I'm thinking that I'm going to get some play during the season, right? I think I'm going to get some run because that's what you did in college. You didn't, you know, you didn't play the whole game. You played in spurts. And so you're thinking, okay, I'm going to get some play. That first game comes around, and I don't get in the game only but for special teams. And I'm like, oh, you have to start in this league <laughs> to play a great deal. So I knew, and you know, I knew that, man, I need to make a splash within these next years because if you don't make a splash those first three years, then a lot of times you may get cut, you may be traded, and you may have to go to another team. And I always say when you go to another team, you have to prove yourself all over again. So for me, I was determined to be a starter that second year. I end up being a starter. You know, I guess the reason why they drafted me was to be a starter. So I end up being a starter, got the job midway through training camp. And that next year, man, I just had a, I mean, the third year had a really good year and they decided to uh, really keep me along another, you know, another three years. And so that's what happened. And then I got probably my big deal. And around my sixth year. So in, in those years, I made, you know, I made a Pro Bowl by my fifth. Yeah, it was my fifth and sixth year. I, I was voted in Pro Bowl. I, I think I probably got alternate <laughs> a whole lot during my career. But, yeah, I mean, uh, those first couple – that first year or so, man, it's it's flying by you. I mean, some guys, I think, you know, they, 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 they really shine their first year. But not for everybody, especially back then. It was a little tougher, I think, to really make the squad. So, yeah, it was the it was flying. I mean, it was like you ever see that movie uh, with Will Ferris playing a race car driver? Oh, Ricky oh. Bobby. Uh, yeah, yeah, Ricky Bobby. And remember Tell Ricky Bobby got in that crash, and he was a little gun shy, <laughs> and he was like, <laughs> and cars was passing him, and he's like, whoa, <laughs> he's like, what's that? What's that? But he's going slow. 
that's how your rookie year is. Everybody else seems like a speed demon, and you're going slow. So, so they're they're basically like, what was that? Was that a running back? What just happened? Yeah. Wow, that's an offensive lineman doing that fast. My goodness. Yeah. So it was uh, it was quite the awakening. Mid '90s Steelers defense brought back uh, memories of the steel curtain from years earlier. You guys had one hell of a linebacker core there. Yeah, you know, we actually got ranked, uh, I think, in the history of NFL as being like the seven best uh, linebacker core, which was amazing for us, man, because we felt back then during that run that we had, and you got to understand it was only three years. You know, it was a short run. It wasn't a very long run at all because of free agency coming along the way. But it, it was a pleasure playing with those three other guys and those guys help you become better. I don't think you really become great unless you have great teammates and you have a great team. And it was a good combination of everything. We were innovative in our way of playing defense where we were blitzing, but we were dropping guys off. We were doing a lot of cross blitzing. We were sending DBs at the time. And we really just dominated at that time. I mean, because nobody saw it. Nobody knew how to solve it. And it wasn't just a scheme. We had really good players. And so the defense at the time really didn't have a lot of weaknesses. And then we had a scheme that was really hard to block and really hard to identify, especially if you're with your offensive lineman. You had a tough time identifying the defense because we all wore 90s. The front seven all wore 90 numbers. (laughs) So for the offensive lineman, they're just like, who in the heck is coming we also ran a 3-4, which a lot of teams didn't run back in the day. But that combination of Greg Lloyd, Kevin Green, Chad Brown, and myself, we brought a lot to the table. We did, and we caused a lot of havoc. And we were tough to beat. We were tough to beat. We were tough to run on, tough to pass on. And it was great because we we really fed off each other. And, and the cool thing was we were all a little different in our – ability and what we could do so it was a great it was a great time great opportunity to play with some great guys and I, I don't know if my career would have been would have gotten where it gotten if it wasn't playing with those guys and playing with that organization hey, sometimes it pays to be good sometimes it pays to be lucky and when you get timing and all that together man that just works yeah. out yep. so sometimes I, it's just good to be fortunate sometimes you're just fortunate yeah, Sometimes I, I got to. Works out for you. I got to ask: out, out of all those guys on that Steelers defense, you know, is there is there anybody that stood out to you? Like who who was the man out of that group? I mean, I get that it's a team game. Like we know everybody's all doing their job, but like who is who is the one guy that you felt like instilled fear, or the other teams had to plan for more than anything? Well, I think Rob Wilson has to be on top of the list. But I think the guy they really feared the most that I think our whole attitude came off of and we fed off him was Greg Lloyd. Avoid Lloyd. Greg Lloyd was – he was the real deal. And I think the whole league was scared of him. I think Rob Wilson overall was our best defender, our best player. And, I mean, he had a Hall of Fame career. Kevin Green was definitely good at what he did as far as rushing the passers concerned. But I'm going to tell you the guy who brought the most presence and who was the alpha male on that team full of alpha males was Greg Lloyd because his attitude and the way he played and the way he worked 
and the way he really demanded all of us to work. I mean, we kind of went how Greg Lloyd went. You know, me and Chad Brown often talk about how we just try to get on their level. You know, those three guys level. We wanted to be that great too. But Greg Lloyd was a guy that I think really, really captured what Pittsburgh and Blitzburg defense was all about. You know, I, I, I'm glad to hear that because I can tell you as a fan watching the Steelers play back then, like Greg Lloyd terrified me. Like he, he was in that, right. he was in that Bruce Smith category to me. Like just a guy, like when you're, when you're seeing him, like you got to know where he is all the time. And yeah, you guys might all been wearing 90 numbers, but I remember number 95. Like that's still ingrained in my memory. So yeah. it, it's not going anywhere. <laughs> yeah. And, and the thing was, he was, he was really uh, a bad dude. Like, you know, he was a third degree. At the time, he was a third degree black belt. Oh. Taekwondo. Mm. And he had that attitude for real. He was a really mean dude. I mean, they used to have posters, you know. And that's when you know you're a player when you got posters in the stadium. If somebody do, does a poster that's not your family <laughs> and they give me a compliment. That's when you knew. I couldn't wait till I got my poster. You know, you get your poster, then you're a fan favorite. You know right. that the fans really enjoy you. And at Pittsburgh, it was all about the defense, man. They love the defense. So Greg Lloyd had this one poster that said, just plain nasty. That description really fit, fit him to a T. It really did. And he was just plain nasty and... I think everybody knew it. He had a reputation. He was the backyard bully for real. The guy, <laughs> the guy he took lunch money all the time. He collected <laughs> lunch money all the time. So, hey, that's what he does. <laughs> yeah. So, so you know, you in your own right, though, you still ended up. I, I think I read uh, seven years. You had over a hundred tackles. So you were yeah. out there, you know, getting work done, doing what you could. Uh, but with all the talent that you guys had, you know, you, you only got to one Super Bowl, I think. You know, you, you guys had the great defense, but sometimes it seems like the offense wasn't always there to match it. Well, you know, I, I think Coach Carr, whole thing was, you know, great defense, great special teams, and you run the ball. And the quarterback, I think in our how our philosophy seemed to go, that the quarterback was truly – a manager of the game. And, and I'm not taking anything away from Neil because we had some great, great teams with Neil O'Donnell. But I think I, I came to come to the conclusion that, man, most likely you, you can see how the Super Bowl goes. That quarterback is a factor. And, oh, yeah. Yep. And when you don't have a great quarterback, sometimes it's harder for you to win than not. I'm not saying that you can – you can't go to the Super Bowl and win with defense and special teams and the running game. You can't because it's been proven. But the majority of it, your quarterback handles the ball all the time. You need a guy who can make the right throws, the great throws, and also make some throws that, man, <laughs> you didn't see that one coming. He just makes a play. And I, I think, you know, I have nothing against scheme, but I think a lot of times it's all about the players. You can have the greatest scheme in the world, but if you don't have the players yeah, who can yeah. really not only run the scheme, but really overcome the scheme. 
Yeah, players got to make it work. You got to make you got to make plays in spite of the scheme. And I think we were at a point that we were good, and but I, I don't think that we had the offense sometimes that can really score a lot of points. And I think sometimes when we have a great defense. You can put a lot of pressure on a great defense because a football team can make two big plays and they count 14 points and, you know, you could be in the hole. It could be a struggle. Right. So I always say that, man, I I, I love great defenses. I want it all as a coach. But, man, if you can have a great offense that can score points, you always got a chance, I believe. While you were playing, you know, you spent ten years with the Steelers. Uh, when you were Seattle, I, I don't, I barely remember the Seattle year. I remember you on the Eagles that final year. But over the uh, the twelve year career, is there any particular player or team that you just absolutely hated facing? I, I hate to say the phrase like, "Is there anybody that you know you?" struck fear into the defense or anything like that? Because you guys don't seem like the kind that would ever have fear struck into your heart. So just who did you hate lining up against? Who gave you the most problems? Well, I mean, I, I think from a running back perspective, everybody back in those days would tell you that Barry Sanders was a guy yeah. that, you know, you worried about. I mean, I played against Emmett Smith and all those guys, and Emmett was definitely a problem. There were a lot of great running backs back then. Uh, but as far as players are concerned, uh, I would have to say Barry Sanders was at the top, but there's a lot of other players that you're definitely concerned about, but not really striking fear. I can tell you the one year that probably my best year that we played in the regular season, and I can tell everybody this now, we beat them, the Denver Broncos, the year they won the Super Bowl. But when it came to the playoff time, they went to Kansas City, and I'm going to tell you, I was going for the Kansas City Chiefs. And the thing was, Kansas City had the home field advantage. I wanted them to win because I knew we could beat Kansas City. I knew we could beat Kansas City. I did not particularly want to play the Denver Broncos because when we did beat them, you look back on that game, they didn't have a great game at all. They, they dropped the ball. Yancey Thigpen, Cordell Stewart had a tremendous game that game. And a lot of times when you do beat a team once and you beat them handily and they're a good team, they got pride. Yeah. And they're not going to let you do that to them again. Yep. They're just not. They had John Elway, Terrell, Terrell Davis, Shannon Sharp. Oh, that's an underrated team. Like I, that, those, those two Smith. Super Bowl teams, man, they were good. Yeah. They, they, um, Ed McCaffrey. The defense they wasn't bad. They, and they had a good and they had a good offensive line, and they were going to make some adjustments against us. They really was because we we bullied them the first time we played them, and they still was. I mean, it still was a good game, and they paid they played badly. That was probably one of the only teams that I thought, and I'm like, mm, I don't want to particularly play against them, but hey, you know, I'm a I'm a ball. I'm a play, and I actually had a I had a great game that game, but I didn't particularly want to play that team because I knew that team was really good, and we were kind of young. We lost a lot of guys. You know, Greg Lloyd didn't play that year. Um, who else? Um, you know, Rod was gone. Rod Woodson was gone. Kevin Green was gone. Chad Brown was gone. So we had a good team, 
and we competed against those guys, but they were a good veteran, solid team that we caught them on one game that they just played not that great, and they end up beating us, and they end up going to the Super Bowl, and that was a heartbreaker. But mm-hmm. it was one team to go back that I didn't really want to particularly play. I thought they matched up a little better than against us than Kansas City would have. Yeah, I, I can understand that. I, I think that team is highly underrated as far as history shows uh, of these great Super Bowl teams. I mean, back to back is one thing, but like they had two thousand yard rusher, they had John Elway. I mean, they were they were loaded. Oh, they beat oh, Green, yeah. and they beat Green Bay when nobody thought they had a chance of yep. beating Green Bay. You know, and they and they really took it to Green Bay. Yeah, they kept Green Bay from like, going back to back. Yeah. Yeah, they, I mean, they they were competitive. They were good, man. John Elway wasn't at his best, but he was still better than 90% of the guys that were playing. So they had a really good team. They had a decent defense. So, you know, you play – and I, I think they were kind of – they were a veteran. They were a good veteran team. They went over the hill, but they were a good veteran, a good veteran team. All right, so you get to uh, the end of your career here. You, you wind up, uh, you know, leaving the NFL. So what what are you thinking life after football? Like, I know you eventually got into coaching, but how did you come about making that transition? You know, honestly, my my last year, I wasn't – when I was at Philly, I wasn't quite sure if I was going to retire or not. You know, I, I just – you know, I just left Seattle, be my second team in two years – Something I wasn't really accustomed to. But, you know, I went to Philly. I'm glad I went to Philly because, you know, it was another opportunity to maybe get to the Super Bowl. We didn't get there, but we got close. And I just didn't really feel the love for the game at my 11th year. You know, it was just kind of body was worn down. Um, my size didn't work for me as much as it did in the past. It was another team, so I mean, another scheme that I had to learn, you know, going through another training camp. Uh, it was tough, but, you know, I decided to retire. I wasn't quite sure what I was going to do. And, you know, I, you know, uh, what I did was I went back to school after that, got my degree. But after I got my degree, I didn't really want to go back into football. I wanted to do something different. So I ended up being a part of the admissions office, um, admissions manager. Uh, during that time, and I'm glad I did that. That gave me uh, just a range of experience. And a lot of times, you can be stuck in a football bubble, and I wanted to kind of get out of it because I've been, you know, for 20 years basically, football is all I knew, all I wanted to do. And I did the admissions work, and it was great work. I mean, it was great. I, I was glad that I did it. But what happened to me is I caught the bug. Uh, <laughs> I started doing some football camps. I was like, man, I, you know, I really like teaching kids the right way and really teaching them good technique and, you know, teaching them the knowledge and experience that I had as a player and giving that back. So I went into coaching while I was still working at Clemson. So I would do, I did high school for a while, actually end up being a defensive coordinator and a, and a head coach. And then one of my friends, Earl home who's coaching with the um, Florida, Florida, um, uh, Florida A&M at the time. He asked me, he's like, man, you taught me everything I know as linebacker, man, come, come help me. And um, I was like, 
Okay, but it was difficult, and the reason why it was so difficult is my, my wife was diagnosed um, of having lung cancer at the time, and and you know I almost did not go because I was just like I don't want to move her, you know I just don't you know we, right. we were comfortable where we were, we were raising a daughter at the time and she was sick and you know she had you know she was working for a local. Um, television station as a news as a weather anchor. She was doing very well in that career, and I got the call from Earl, and I really contemplated about doing. I even asked him. I was like, "Well, you know, I'll let you, you know. I'm gonna let you know, Earl. I'm just not sure. My wife is sick. I don't know how this move is going to really help her at all." And I just remember having that conversation with my wife, and she said something was kind of real. I mean, it's nothing I really wanted to hear. She was just like, "Well, you know." doesn't really matter where I die, you know. This wow. is something that you wow. want to do, and you should do it. And I was like, whoa, okay. So went down there and decided that, hey, this is, you know, this is a lot, this is an opportunity I might not get again to coach on a college level. So I ended up coaching there, and then I moved on to the Arizona Cardinals. But, you know, it gave me a lot of doing – Coaching at FAMU and coaching at Arizona gave me just a wealth of knowledge that I probably wouldn't have known otherwise. I mean, being being on that side of it helped me to understand the coaching perspective and what coaches go through. And I learned a lot of football, too. You know, you learn a lot of football as a player, especially as an NFL player. But, man, you learn a lot of football being a coach, too. And I learned a lot being on the college level and then also in the NFL um, where I coached with um, a great group of coaches at the time, Bruce Arians. I mean, he was a, he's a great coach and man, I, I really learned a lot. So um, that wealth of experience was great for me. Man, that's a, a lot to unpack there. The first thing I just want to say is, uh, man, uh, incredible uh, hardship to go through there with your wife. Definitely. Um, you know, something I can't even imagine, but for her to, uh, still in that position to give you that type of support, man, that, that's awesome. So that's amazing. I mean, that, that's, that's, that's amazing. I, but to, even now to hear yeah, that, it, like it, it's wild. Yeah, it was really amazing. You know, um, it, it's something that you always deal with too. It's nothing that you ever really get over. You know, it's just, it, you go through ways, especially those first couple of years, it's very tough. Everything reminds you of, you know, anytime you hear lung, you hear cancer, it reminds you of it. And, you know, you start right. talking about birthdays and you start talking about anniversaries, holidays. Those first those first couple of years, man, it was really tough. It was a tough adjustment. I mean, and then you're talking about, you know, your support system and you're doing it, you know, now you're doing it alone. You're not parenting. You're parenting alone now. So it, it was um, it was definitely difficult. How old are your kids now? Uh, one is nineteen and one is sixteen. Okay, well, so they're older. Yeah, yeah. it's still they're still kids though. It don't it don't get easier, you know. Actually, when they get older, sometimes that makes it harder. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know, it's just you know they they have their own minds and they they have their own thoughts about things and you know, as a single parent, you have to kind of have to play both parts. You know, with my daughter, for example. She's she loves fashion, you know, and <laughs> I have to put on that hat, you know, I have to put on the hat of like what she's wearing. You know, she doesn't always get a woman's perspective 
But the funny thing is she always likes my perspective. I'm like, oh, my goodness, you know. And so you, you just have to be that person. You have to kind of change hats. And I realized, you know, when I was um, when I was doing it, I had to, like, really, really think a little deeper. You know, one example is after after her mom died, um, it was about getting her to school. And I could always rely on my wife getting to school. But now it was really up to me to get her to school, then plus, you know, working a coaching job. And I'm going to tell you, the first the first couple of weeks, man, I got it so wrong because I was trying to get her up when I got up, and we were just in a mad dash, and we were always late. I couldn't get a breakfast in time because her school was about 30, about 30 minutes away. So we had to go cross town for a school, and we went to Dunkin' Donuts every day, almost every morning, trying to feed us because Dunkin' Donuts was closer to the school. And so after a while, I'm like, man, I am being a bad father, giving her this all this sugar and milk before school. So, and to this day, she doesn't really like donuts because <laughs> I gave her donuts all the time. But the lesson I learned, though, was I was like, okay, we got to – it's got to be better. So what I started doing was I started – getting up earlier and you know, I'm a guy. So I was waking her up. Like you wake up a guy, get up, get up, right. let's go, let's go. <laughs> and she was like, daddy, you can't wake me up like that. And you know, mommy never woke me up like that. And so I was like, okay, okay. So I had to get up, get dressed, get myself ready way before she got up. And then, you know, when I'm ready, I would get, I was like, okay, honey. I'm like, it's time to get up. I say, could you, could you put your feet on the floor for me? Could you say thank you that you know? I always made her just say thank you for being, you know, just thank you for being alive, just being gracious. And I said, okay, just stand up for me. I said, I just need for you to go in there, you know, get yourself washed up, get yourself dressed. I say, what do you want for breakfast? And I usually have a list of like. You know, she's like, oh, well, she'd be still asleep. Oh, I want pancakes or whatever. And, man, I would go in there while she getting dressed. I have her breakfast ready for her. And then, you know, I tell her once her breakfast got ready, I was like, hey, listen, we got like 15 minutes before we uh, we have to really go. So after I kind of learned that, it went a lot better. It went so much smoother. Then I, and I'm like, oh, okay, you have to really – when you're managing a family, it's it's different when you never managed a family before. And it, it was kind of cool, though, because, you know, I learned that, OK, this is what I need to do. There were some things I couldn't do, like do a hair or anything like that. I didn't even attempt those kind of things. <laughs> but, you know, like getting her ready, making sure she eats right, you know, picking her up, spending quality time with her. Um, it was a quite adjustment for me, but I, I did learn and I did get better at it. And see, uh, it's not just football here. We're learning. We're learning life stories. This is important stuff. Like I can't even imagine going through that, but uh, you know, it, it shows the perspective you pick up over time. So that, that's awesome to hear. Uh, yeah. I, I guess uh, one one last question I got before we wrap up here. Do you got any plans to uh, get back into coaching? I know you're kind of taking a hiatus right now. So what are you thinking? Man, I've been I've been asked that a couple times. I do want to coach, but I want to coach in my own way. 
Okay. And what I mean by that is I work with an organization called the South Carolina Football Hall of Fame. And we have what we call a Bridge Builders Program. And in South Carolina, uh, we're ranked like 43rd in college and career readiness. And that's a that's a problem. That's, yeah. that's a that's an issue. And it really the stakes are we really as a state, you're going to be hurting because, you know, companies are not going to be coming in. And you don't have qualified workers and kids are not going to college. So the great the great um, the great companies are probably not going to come after a while because you can't fulfill the jobs because you don't have the kids that are ready for it. Absolutely. And so what we do is we, we educate, we empower, and we encourage um, students for that next level. And I feel like that's a great way for me to coach and be a support system for especially athletes who are coming through that they won't have to go through the gamut that I went through as far as you know, not having that mentor, not having that teacher to kind of get you through the whole process. So I feel like I will go into coaching again. It may not be on the field coaching, but it's going to be in a way where I think I can have a positive effect and, you know, spread the love. So I feel like I will be coaching. It, it may not be on the sideline, though. It may not be in the booth, but I will be coaching. I hundred percent understand everything you're talking about Life because coaching. like, so we live in West Virginia, LeVon, and you think South mm-hmm. Carolina has that challenge. We're, we're probably a few oh, yeah. ranks lower. So I, I can respect the desire to want to do exactly what you're talking about. And, and I think you're right. No matter what aspect you're doing, it, it's going to be coaching one way or the other. doesn't have to be on the field, but you know, the fact that you got your, uh, your head pointed in that direction. I mean, that's, that's a good thing. And, and hopefully, you know, you got this uh, illustrious career behind you. You're a Clemson uh, Ring of Honor, Hall of Fame, NFL linebacker. Hopefully that helps, uh, you know, people understand that a little bit when they're hearing it from you because, you know, you got some perspective to share. And, and if that can make a difference, man, we wish you the best of luck in that. Well, thank you. And at, at the South Carolina Hall of Fame, which, you know, it's more than football. It's making a difference through football. So we do that. We have a, uh, we have a podcast, which I call the Inside Blitz with LeVon Kirk which is really fitting because, you know, all the blitzing yeah. we did at Pittsburgh. <laughs> so uh, it's a good podcast. We really try to attract the right companies to advertise with us and to get their word spread out there, too. So that's a vehicle for us. But, um, you know, we're kind of young in it. And so we're trying to make sure that we get enough people to really support what we do and to really commit to the mission. And when we say commit to the mission, you know, it's, it's not about just always being a sponsor or being a donor. It's just about the commitment of doing that. And that means you can be a volunteer. You can help us out in our events that we do, the live stream that we do for our Bridge Builders Excellence Finalists. We do one of those. We do a ceremony for – we do a Hall of Fame ceremony for football players. So – you know, there's definitely a lot of ways that you can get involved with the South Carolina Football Hall of Fame. But, you know, everybody knows a student. Everybody has a skin in the game. And I think that if, we, if we're not doing our part, then we're not helping. You right. know, we talk a good game, but are we really actually doing anything um, about these young students and this future we talk about? So this makes it 
we try to make uh, we we try to get people to make a commitment. Yep. And um, I think if you can make a commitment, that means you're involved, that you got skin in the game. So it's just going to be a matter of time for us to build it, and it'll be something that we're trying to do. And our, our campaign is about you know being in the top ten in 2030. So that's our campaign. Right. Know? That's that's a high ambitious goal top there. 10. Yeah, it is. I mean, why not? Hey, shoot. <laughs> shoot for the moon, land in well, the stars, right? Isn't that what they say? Right, that's what they say. Yeah, that's what they say. <laughs> they find the right people to commit to their community, invest their time, invest in the kids and the youth. You can get there. You know, it's it's it's. I think it's a good good way of giving back. Man, we just wanted to say we appreciate you know the time you gave us. We like the stories too, man. Always hearing about you know, especially. You know, people comparing sports nowadays to, I mean, what seems like not that long ago to me, but we're talking about like early 90s all the way up to 2000. Like it's, it seems like a different world now, but yeah. you were a part of that, man. Yeah. And it was awesome to hear uh, about some of that and your time in Clemson and then all the other awesome stuff you got going on and, and where your head's at and what you're focused on. And, man, we wish you the best of luck. And, again, just can't thank you enough for coming on the show. Hey, thank you guys for having me on the show. It was a pleasure. If you guys ever need me again, let me know. I can be any help. Man, we'll, we'll keep you on speed dial. You never know. We always like to reach back out to people. But Levon, give me the Rolodex. That's it. Well, yeah. See, we're <laughs> dating yeah, ourselves. Rolodex. We're dating ourselves now when we say Rolodex. Keep, aren't a, we? keep a relationship. <laughs> that's right. Keep the man. relationship going. That's it. <laughs> we can't be strangers passing in the dark. But hey, thank you so much, man. Thank and you, guys. We'll see you sometime down the road. Okay. All right, man. Y'all be good. Hi, hey, you too. Thanks, you too, man. man.